Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hello, how do you do? We are the boys in white and blue, and we're back with another episode of The Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful and Wet, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And we're back for another Packed show of Vancouver Whitecaps, Major League Soccer and Canadian Premier League chat. Now, we had hoped to be doing our AFTN awards this show, but we want to wait until Steve is able to join us. Failed a late fitness test, sadly, for the show again tonight. So once he's back up fully fit and ready to go, we'll get into our end of season Whitecaps AFTN awards. But we have a lot of other great stuff in store for you in this episode. And we're going to do things a a little bit differently from usual. We're going to bring you our feature interview in part two, which is our sit-down chat with Whitecaps head coach Vanny Sertini. Unpack a little bit of that and stuff that was said by Axel Schuster at the midweek end-of-season Whitecaps media conference. Then in part four... We're going to turn our attentions to the MLS and the the CPL playoffs. In part one, though, we're going to look at some news stories that kind of caught our eye this week. A couple of things around the Canadian national teams. But we want to start off with a very sad and, and heartbreaking story, which, as most of you will know, former Whitecaps player Masato Kudo Sadly, passed away on Friday, aged just 32. I think a lot of us were in shock when we found out earlier in the week that Masato had been taken into hospital in Japan for brain surgery. He'd been diagnosed with the condition hydrocephalus, which is an abnormal build-up of fluid in the, the cavities deep within the brain and the excess fluid can cause the ventricles to widen, putting pressure on the, the brain's tissues. So that condition had been diagnosed for Masato. He was in hospital getting an operation for that. Unfortunately, after complications from the surgery with that, Masato passed away on Friday. The, the news broke and it's just absolutely tragic, absolutely heartbreaking Zad. Just a man's life taken 
way too soon. Uh, like just shocking. Um, I, it was shocking that you just hear about the, the surgery had happened and he was in ICU. And then, uh, yeah, the, the update that he had passed away. So tragic. Uh, so young. Yeah, I, in the year he was here, I, I didn't get to know him as well as I did some other players of that era. But um, the few interactions I got to have him were, were all, yeah, extremely positive. One of the coolest things, and I don't know if we, we talked about this much at the time, we probably did a little bit, but Japanese supporter culture, you know, has its variances, has its difference from North American supporter culture. Uh, sometimes footballers are, I guess, sort of like, can be treated sort of like rock stars, like musicians, and they have like just people who are like crazy, massive fans of them and, and you know, follow them around. Um, and so we had this uh, incredible fan of his come and join us. Like they flew from Japan. They came for, I don't know, it was a week where there was two games or what it was, but she came over and she was, yeah, she came to the games with us. I think I think it was at least two games and um, hung out and, yeah, just got to connect, obviously, with Masada while she was, was here and stuff. And, um, yeah, and when I heard the news, I was just, like, heartbroken for, I mean, obviously for his family, but then for people like her who were just such big fans and literally, like, followed him around the world um, to, to support him. So, yeah, it's... It's incredibly sad and just a reminder of how fragile uh, life life is. I've never heard of this specific condition either. I've heard of other. I've heard of people having issues with you know the fluid around your brain and it, you know, maybe leaking out spots or you know causing issues for your you know your brain to be in the right spot like where it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. um, but not not like this. Um, yeah, so 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 tragic. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a condition I had heard of in, until early in the year. We- was chatting to before we recorded that when we lost our our dog at the end of last year and we were just starting to look for new dogs there was a dog that was up for adoption that had hydrocephalus and with that condition if the dog had a head trauma or hit his head he could basically die instantly so it was the first of me knowing of that and then reading this about Masato it's just like wow and, I mean, obviously, we're not doctors, don't want to speculate. I mean, when you think of Masato's time here in Vancouver, you think of that injury that that he suffered in the game against Chicago in May 2016. He was knocked unconscious, he broke his jaw, collision with Chicago goalkeeper Matt Lampson, and you just hope that that didn't factor into or, or play any part of that at all. So Masato Kudo's time in Vancouver was obviously brief. He just had the one season here, 16 appearances, two goals, and it it felt it was a league that it was maybe a little bit too physical for him. And I'm not just chatting about that challenge that he had against Chicago, but I don't think we ever really got to see the best of Masato Kudo in MLS in a Whitecaps jersey, and that's sad. I had limited dealings with him, really, because his English wasn't great for doing interviews, but whenever you interacted with him or saw him at training, he always had a huge smile on his face, very popular player amongst the players, amongst the dressing room, and you've seen that with the outpouring of kind words and just everything that's been said about him, former 
teammate Pamadou Ka put out a, a lovely post about him and it's just been a, a mixture of just shock and disbelief that this has happened because he genuinely came across as just really, really nice guy. No, that injury, I think, totally, like, he, he hadn't found his form yet, if memory serves me correct. And that sort of derailed, it felt like, any opportunity for him to find form. Because you're right, he was out quite a while. And then when he came back, again, he never never hit top form. He only scored, like, a, was it a couple goals? I, can't I think remember. he got two. I, remember, I think it was I remember two the goals. Pen, the penalty where he scored, it was against Houston, scored, yeah. was, the only, was that the only goal of the game or something? Because um, I think he did the humble with us that day. That's the day he did the humble with us. And... He, yeah, he, he didn't come. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure uh, there's reasons on his end, but I think you know at the time for, for for Robbo, I think it was it was down to the fact that yeah, he wasn't able to score the way that they were hoping he would be able. You know, for someone of his pedigree and you know history and whatnot. After his time here in Vancouver, he went back to Japan, had a little bit of time in Australia as well with Brisbane Roar then went back to Japan before this tragedy happened. Our thoughts from everyone here at AFTN go out to Masato's family, his friends, everyone that knew, loved and cared about him. You're in our thoughts. May you rest in peace, Masato. And there's no real easy way to transition from a story like that, so we'll just get straight into it. We'll get into the, the football chat now. And we're going to talk about two stories in this part regarding the Canadian national team. And we're going to start off on the women's side because the draw was made a couple of days ago for the 2023 Women's World Cup that will be taking place next summer down in Australia and New Zealand. Canada drawn in Group B with one of the hosts, Australia, Nigeria, also the Republic of Ireland as well. Two teams that they're very familiar with, having played them recently in a, a pair of friendlies. And Republic of Ireland, which when I saw that draw, I couldn't help but think that should and could have been Scotland because Scotland were in a playoff with the Republic of Ireland, went into the game heavy favourites, but came out of it on the back of a 1-0 loss, despite dominating for large swaths of that game. So... That's disappointing. It could have been a, a Canada-Scotland set-up, but it is the Republic of Ireland. And got to say, Zach, on the whole, pretty good draw for Canada. Uh, I think Australia will prove uh, a significant challenge. And Samantha, Samantha Kerr, right? I always mess up mm-hmm. her first name. Um, yeah. She's at Chelsea, I think, right now. And she is, I think, yeah, one of the... One of the best players in the world, really, totally, right now. Totally. So, I, uh, yeah... She'll be a handful, and then I, that Nigerian team really, really did like cause issues. So yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk. I think there'll be some good challenge for 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 Bev's side in there. Now we'll delve into the the draw and chat a bit more about it next month. We're going to have a, a show that is predominantly featuring heavily on women's football. We'll have Har on, who's actually going to be going to the World Cup next year in Australia and New Zealand. So we've got her going next year. We've got you going this year to it. Good to have podcast people on the ground that can bring us some stuff from those tournaments. I'm very jealous of both of you. More so hard, though, because I've 
always wanted to go to Australia and New Zealand and I had kind of penciled it that it might have been a little possibility to go to this one next year but it's coming at a time where I'm going to be really in the thick of the broadcasting for League One BC and I primarily want to get down to, to New Zealand as long-time listeners of the show will know I've had a very strong kind of infatuation almost with New Zealand the last couple of years during the pandemic watched a lot of New Zealand TV shows and followed a lot of New Zealand comedians saw a few of them over at Edinburgh Fringe when I was back home in August and watched A-League taking a big interest in Wellington Phoenix so it would have been great to get down there one day I will do that but hope Har is a great time down there we'll delve into that tournament uh, a little bit more next month Bring some audio as well, post-draw from Bev Priestman. But there's also been a, another, I was going to say big story, but a lot of talking points this week around the, the men's national team, because obviously you're heading down to Qatar, hopefully, Zach, next month. I mean, can you can you give us any more details on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm going I'm going because I want to see two things. I want to see Canada play. And in an ideal world, I want Canada and Germany to play in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. Right? I've been to the only two times Canada and Germany have ever played at full men's international level. Ni- June 1994, uh, in a pre-World Cup friendly at Varsity Stadium. And that day, I was, we- I was wearing a Canada bandana with a-, with a German flag. But if I'm honest, I was probably more excited to see and, and uh, cheering on Ger- Ger- Germany in that that was a two nil victory, Rudy Fuller and Matthias Sammer. And then um and then I went to Wolfsburg in two thousand three to see Canada play Germany at the Volkswagen Arena. And that day I was proudly cheering on Canada, wearing my score Canada kit, sitting with my I, I got into that I got into that game with uh I've told you this before, right? With uh, Papa <laughs> Papa de Guzman and Jonathan de Guzman. They gave me a ticket and I sat with them. And um uh, and yeah, it was, and it was a great, well, it was, it was a great time. It was not a great day for Canada. It was a, a 4-1, a 4-1 loss. Although Nick Dasovich, I believe, was captain that day oh. and made some interesting plays in that game. And Kevin McKenna scored from, a, I think, a Paul Stoltary free kick for corner. Um, but yeah, so anyways, if there's a chance, the, the two chances they can play in this World Cup are the final and I believe the round of 16. So I, I don't think I'll be there for the final, and just in case that happens, but, uh, I am planning on being there for the round of 16. Oh, interesting. The the men are heading into that tournament and there's a, a bit of a cloud, a dark cloud hanging over them as they go into that regarding the, the stuff that Rick Westhead and TSN have been digging into around the CSA's business dealings. And another article published by Rick this week and a series of tweets coming out of it as well. I'll just go over some of that with you just now, Zach, just to get your thoughts on it. So I'll go through some of the the tweets that Rick Westhead put out, I think, three days ago now. And we'll stress that this is Rick's tweets. It's not our thoughts or we're not commenting or reporting on these things as facts. It's just things partly from the article that he wrote and then just partly from his tweets as well. So basically the article was with the headline, Canada Soccer told to stop selling Davies jerseys amid Federation's fight with the players. So, just to recap for anyone unaware, the players have been in a fight with Canada Soccer regarding bonuses, payments for making it to the World Cup, and it's still dragged on. No deal has been made, 
and then little by little there's been more squabbles building up. So it stems from Alfonso Davis's agent, Nick Husset. Probably murdered that name, so apologies, but he's advised Canada Soccer to stop selling the star player's jersey on its website with a quote from Nick saying that national team players have never received royalties from jersey sales and they should. We only want what's fair and the apps are Absolutely can and should do this. Yeah, obviously that doesn't seem unreasonable. But again, a lot of the, I don't I don't know all the details about all this stuff, so I'm not speaking from any kind of hidden knowledge or anything like that. But like this program is at a place it's never been before, and they're asking questions and thinking about things they've never thought about before. And I don't think all of them have to be kind of like doomsday type discussions. You know what I mean? Like. I don't know. I think some of this stuff uh, can be along the lines of, "Hey, we're at a place where I think we think that the you know the players should receive compensation for this, that, and the other, which they never have before." Without it being like, "Oh, the CSA is you know doing horrible things and making as much money as they can off the, the backs of all the players," literally, you know. Well, it, it kind of also moves on. I'll, I'll read you a little bit more here, Zagats. The Canadian Men's National Soccer Team Players Association, which is basically the players' union that has been formed and recognised by Canada Soccer to represent the national team players, they have also for the first time in recent memory warned Canada Soccer that sponsors of the Federation are not allowed to use images of players in ads without their permission. Yeah, which which again, it feels like these are normal like should be normal conversations that happen and obviously they they didn't before but with the heightened um place of the team in the spotlight based on their performances these conversations need need to happen like i, I don't i don't know I, i'm not i'm not saying uh, the csa is, is right in all they've done and all they do but um i don't think all this stuff needs to be seen as like horrific mismanagement or like or bad practices it, it might turn out that it has been well th the thing is like players such as alfonso davies he's got his own personal sponsorship and advertising deals with nike with bimo which is why he uh, appeared in that ad but you then have the flip side you've got players like jonathan david who have their own deals but his is with adidas I love that celebration where he covered the Nike logo, just yeah. because I'm an I'm an Adidas person and yeah. not not a huge fan of Nike, and so I love that. But the other problem for the players is, is that if it was just kind of open market, how many of them like would actually make money off of some of this stuff? You know what I mean? Like if you're not Alfonso Davies or maybe Jonathan David, maybe what like Atiba or Milan or something, like your opportunities are not the same. Like Alistair Johnson's not getting money from BMO. Even people further up the peck, like even a, even a guy we love, like a Sam, is Sam going to be approached by BMO, or 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 some company where they can use the image of him doing his little celebration in Hamilton? You know, like, I'm not, it's not super likely, you know, like um, yeah. But so there's there's all kinds, yeah. There's all so a lot of the complaints. It goes back to this deal that Canada Soccer has signed with Canada Soccer Business, which we we covered on a previous show. We won't go into all the ins and outs of that again. Another tweet from Rick says that while Canada Soccer President Nick Bontis 
allegedly told national team players that he inherited a media sponsorship contract with Canada Soccer Business. Documents and emails obtained by TSN raised new questions about Bontis' involvement in the contract negotiation. With a Canada Soccer source saying, players are like, why would we give up our likeness rights when we know that all of this money is going to Canada Soccer Business? The trust between the Federation and national team players has been broken. Oh, yeah, it's obviously not ideal the way that all this has played out. But again, I don't... I. <laughs> I I don't fully appreciate uh, Westhead's approach to all this. I guess because uh, again, this was this the CSA made decisions when and when we've talked about this before. The CSA basically um, took money and took money generated money for for the programs when they were having to pay to get their games on TV. They took a negative and turned it into a positive. And I, I can't fully fault them for, for the, oh, it's, well, but it's also, it's tied into the club game and progressing the whole, whole thing to, together. So is it the best deal for every one of these current national team players? Yeah, probably not. Or yeah, you know, um, objectively not. Right. But, uh, it, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it. I, I don't view it in the. I don't view it in the way that I think many people have, or the way it's fully being painted in in some of these articles. And I mean, it's messy. And yeah, Rick is dealing into digging into things and just looking for things to have a go at Canada Soccer about. And I, I get that you're trying to play devil's advocate and see both sides. It just Canada Soccer just doesn't come out in this to me, in, in a good light at all. But they're digging into everything, for example. Another tweet is like, while Canada soccer staff, coaches and board members fly economy, its board has passed a policy for President Nick Bontis to fly business on flights that are over three hours. With a Canada soccer source saying, maybe a good leader sits in economy class, the same as some of our national team players and coaches. But that's the thing, because all these anonymous sources are are getting quoted in in these articles and stuff as well and one of them who spoke with a condition of anonymity because they didn't have the right to to speak publicly on things saying it's all a giant mess for Canada Soccer because this is the time where Canada Soccer can really monetize Canada being in a World Cup and instead of that they're embroiled in this absolute mess yeah, look, I'm no, I'm not a fan of any of these people. Like, I'm not like rah rah rah, Bontis or Earl Earl Cochran or like I like I don't, I'm not like oh I have any vested interest in any of them as individuals, but I do have a vested interest in the, you know, Canada soccer succeeding as a whole. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, have these people made poor decisions? Yeah, and and that's probably one good example of it. But um, I removing those people or making those people look bad don't necessarily mean that the deal that was made at that time was a bad deal and, and i don't know and so and maybe maybe i'm wrong that's just how I, I i felt about it and but the other thing is how the players you know didn't know or understand what was going on at the time how the media even people like rick west said rick west said wouldn't have cared if canada didn't make this world cup no one would be talking about this at all right mm. like how they how they didn't care back then when this was being announced and 
the stories of it, you know, the press releases were going out for all this and they didn't dig then. It's like a little bit also like shame on them. They only care because mon- more there's money involved now, right? Like it's not a good place to be in for, you know, where we're at. Uh, like these are just public sources, but I keep hearing that there's uh, there's no deal done, but there will there has to be a deal done because neither neither can afford to lose. The players mm-hmm. can't afford to not to be kicked out of the World Cup, and the federation obviously can't afford that either. So something will happen, but yeah. what it will be and when it will be is maybe yeah. But it will but it will be supposedly. One last tweet from Rick that I just want to lead, read because this one made me laugh, which is that while Canada Soccer has directed players and staff to give back the Team Canada sweat tops, pants and polo shirts, which I don't know if this is Milan Borian's famous sweatpants he has to hand back, they've been provided for training sessions but Canada Soccer want them all back. The Federation this summer spent 11 grand on new custom suits for board members. Well, I mean, this is not abnormal. Like, I mean, when you talk about this is like a growing program, right? Like, this is a growing thing. This is not a this is not the the top echelon of football, national football program in the world, right? When you listen to, you know, the Craig Force of the world and, you know, talk about what happened back in the day, this is this is how things have been because of where the program has been at. And so those kind of situations to me are a part of the growing pains. But to me, that's not a heinous thing. That's a, hey, we've always had to do this because of our lack of funds or lack of, you know, lack of amount we get in from suppliers and whatever. It's even worse if you listen to the women's players back in the day. The women's players used to only get like men's sizes clothing back in the day and they were all like swimming in their, their you know, their um, training stuff or whatever or their shorts and like, yeah, if you listen to some of the women talk back in the day. It was it was worse for them, um, but but again, this is these are the growing. The, the, to me, that's more of like a symptom of, 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 the, of the growing pains, and maybe potentially some mismanagement of the Nike. The Nike allegedly, let's say allegedly, that's the yeah. word. What one thing that has really annoyed me though is this: for so many people in the country, it's the the first time as a Canadian soccer fan, that they're going to have experienced their team at a World Cup. From coast to coast, all ages, all sexes, genders, affiliations, they should be dressed in the Canadian national team jerseys. There should be little kids clamouring to get an Alfonso Davies jersey. And they're hard to come by. But not only that, Canada inexplicably have not brought out a special World Cup jersey. That is such a moneymaker for them. They could have been coining it in. And it's like, look how many people would want a jersey. And you want to get this country buying into this team. And for me, not to have that, not to have these jerseys available en masse, that is just complete mismanagement. But um, I will say, actually, so I can't talk about the details, but I have heard... And I can't remember. If this, I think this is the CSA. I don't think this is CSB. Like I'd have to go back and check when the Nike deal was signed. But I think this was a CSA decision. And I've heard people talk about how the Nike deal that was done, you could criticize the mismanagement of it. Not just because of this period, but because they're making nothing to next to nothing off of it. Um, and they should, and they could have, ma- and they could have made. Uh, 
they could have made a, an amount of money that would be at least somewhat respectable. Yeah. But I but I can't talk about the details of that because <laughs> but that that's my understanding. I mean, it's a giant mess. It's a dark cloud that is hanging over the team as they get into this World Cup. It's not what anyone wants. Hopefully it doesn't detract from their focus and their attention going to the World Cup and that deals can get signed soon and we can move on for this because, I mean, neither side are coming out of this particularly well, but Canada Soccer in particular, and I know a lot of the narrative has been skewed against them, it's right to say, do, do they know what they're doing here? And it does feel that it just needs an absolutely massive overhaul of Canada soccer and a new regime in place. Hopefully it doesn't detract too much from Qatar 2022 because that action will get underway soon. We'll have all the coverage of that obviously on the website. But let's turn our attention now to the White Caps and we're going to bring you our feature interview for the show as we sit down with head coach Vanni Sartini to look about the season past, the season to come and what off-season dealings the Whitecaps might be looking at doing. We'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of October from Olympia, Washington State, US of A. That was Beat Happening and a song taken from their fourth studio album, 1991's Dreamy. And that was a song I've played on the show in the past. Hot Chocolate Boy, one of my favourite songs by Beat Happening. And after last week, where I played Indian Summer, because it was so warm, it's, summer was not wanting to move on. Well, this week, summer has very firmly said goodbye. We're into hot chocolate weather already. It's certainly taken a, a turn, hasn't it, Zach? Yeah, it's weird because it feels like we didn't get, like, I hope there's still, like, a fall somewhere. <laughs> like, it's, my house has gotten so much colder, so what's going on? Yeah, I've had the, the heat on this week. I dug out my big coat for doing the commentary up at UBC, and it's certainly got a, a lot cooler. I, I enjoy the fall. I think fall is one of my favorite seasons. Cri- Me too. I like crisp, not too cold, but crisp weather with, um, oh yeah, no rain. 
Oh yeah, I mean for me that's just perfect weather. This is my favourite season as well. I I just love this time of year, the the crispness, the the, the leaves just changing colour. I, I know it's an absolute pain in the ass when you're driving about and there's blocked drains and water everywhere, but yeah, for me fall is the the best time. So go dig out those hot chocolates and go for some nice chilly walks if the rain holds off, which. Looking at the forecast, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. But we'll get back to the football chat now. And this week, the Whitecaps held their end-of-season presser with head coach Vanni Sartini and CEO and general manager Axel Schuster. We'll unpack a little bit of that in the next part. But we also got the chance to sit down with Vanni this week just to chat about the season past the off-season to come, and what 2023 might hold in store for the club. So go stick the kettle on. Maybe you want to make a hot chocolate, or just grab your drink of choice anyway. Make sure you grab a biscuit with that. Sit back and enjoy our end-of-season chat with Whitecaps head coach, Vanni Sartini. So, first of all, Vanny, thank you so much for joining us for our end-of-season chat. You've had a couple of weeks to kind of reflect on the end of the season. How are you feeling about how 2022 went? Uh, I would say kind of a bittersweet and uh, kind of... uh, uh, It's hard to... To summarize the season in either good or bad, uh, because the season has been good and bad. Uh, we won a trophy, but we didn't make the playoff. We started very poorly, but we ended very good. We had a very good record at home, but we didn't. Very, we did very bad in away. So there's a lot of factors. We develop, I think, some young players in uh, being better players. But uh, some, I would say, experiment in position or uh, things that we thought and I thought that could have done better, even individual for the players, it didn't go well. So I would say it's kind of a season of two phases. Uh, at the end, I think uh, uh, if we rate like in the school uh, year, we got a C and we pass because we won the trophy and uh, but uh, to, to be a B at least season we need to be in the playoff and to be an A season for me to we need to be in the playoff playing at least one playoff game at BC place so that's I would say that what characterize uh, uh, the season so uh, we need to be very honest we analyzed a lot and uh, We'll try to learn from our mistakes of this year to be better next year. That's, that's very good to hear that. It's like very, very honest. And I, I think it kind of sums up how we, we feel everything kind of went as well. I mean, let, let's let's start off looking at some real positives. So you, you won your first trophy yeah. as a, a head coach. And that, that night at BC Place, it, it was a special evening and... 
being down at, on, on the pitch after it with you guys and just the celebrations and the players, the joy. I mean, that's something that's going to live with you for a, a long time. Looking back at that night and just that success, how do you feel about it now? Well, it, it's the best night of my life, to be honest. It's, uh, it's pretty simple. And, uh, you know, uh, BC plays full of, uh, full of people, 25,000, winning a trophy, uh, a trophy, uh, a tournament where we did so badly the year before, uh, the years before, uh, but uh, winning against a team that were presenting itself like a team who comes here and everyone from journalists, from fans, they were saying, okay, let's see how much the TFC is going to be the White Cups, either 2 3 or 4 0, and winning in deservingly so to win uh, the the elation, the celebration, and the and the most beautiful thing, the togetherness between the team and the fans that day was uh, was amazing. Was amazing, and you know, uh, uh, if I I'm still getting emotional every time if I think that uh, again, twenty five thousand people they went home that night happy, and they had a little part on their happiness. It's the reason why you. You try to do this kind of. I think it's the the reason why you do this job at the end. Yeah, and I think for for Whitecaps supporters, success hasn't been plentiful in the MLS era. I yeah. think I was spoiled when I came over here. My first season watching the team was two thousand and eight, and they won a USL championship. So it's kind of hard to go from your first season winning that because yeah. then you're not going to win a championship every year. But yeah. I, like I in Scotland, my team is a small team, so it's the successes that stick with you when you're not winning much, and it's always good for that. So I mean, in in that regard, winning the cup, getting into the Champions League, it, it's all fantastic. And you look back at the season, and yeah, there's the highs of that, and then there's the lows of not making the the playoffs. When you look at this season, how it's finished. Not so much the team, because I feel the team that we finished the season with is stronger than the team that we finished 2022 with. At the start of this... Oh, sorry, this is... 21. It all blurs into one now. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the team that we finished 2022 with is better than the team, I think, that we finished 2021 with. But the team that we started 2022 with felt weaker than the team that we finished last season with. And you you can pinpoint it with Max moving on or whatever. Do, do you feel, and it's easy to look at hindsight, but a player like Andres Kubis, if we'd had a guy like him for the whole season or brought in the likes of Julian Gressel earlier, do you think that would have made a, a, a big, big difference? Well, yeah, I want to say first a couple of things. Uh, you said before that it's talking about the cup. It's a night that will stuck with the fans for years. I hope not, because I hope that we're going to make some other nights that we're going to win uh, uh, cups, the MLS Cup of the Champions League, our beautiful Champions League night. So we have more nights to remind us. But to do this, we need to be better. And uh, And I agree that the start of the season was bad. But uh, I wouldn't pinpoint on the fact of uh, of the transfer market. We know we know that uh, almost by definition, 
In MLS, the secondary transfer market is more important than the first transfer market because the chances to have uh, international players or players even within the league that are wanting to move away because they're not doing well or they're or they're they're not happy at their club is higher than in January, February. So I would say that the club did a great job in bringing Kuba, uh, uh, Schopf, and Gressel in the in the in, during midseason. Then Schopf had the problem that unfortunately he was off for more than two months, so you didn't see the real Schopf. We probably will see it next uh, next season, and. Uh, I think that it's more on uh, what we did at the beginning of the season. What we did at the beginning of the season with the player that we had, that, uh, uh, of course, we were a little bit in trouble because uh, we had gold out and white out and uh, and uh, we had to make the changing goal with, with Max. But even with that problems, we could have done better because we showed during the season that, we won games without gold, without white. When we started picking up and and uh, and and playing better, so uh, it's not an alibi. I think that we need to analyze what we what we've done at the beginning of the season. I uh, said it very time most of the time that preseason last year wasn't good enough for a million reason. It's uh, everyone's fault and nobody's fault because a lot of things were outside of our. Uh, the control, like uh, we couldn't travel for the first uh, period because of restriction, the COVID restriction, they were still on and we didn't know. So we had to stay here uh, and no position, not playing. Uh, the other thing, it's our fault. When we went to California, uh, we didn't play enough games against tough opposition. So uh, we weren't prepared at the beginning of the season. Our first four games were the preseason and we went one point. So I blame our first four games to the lack of preseason. Then we have our sec uh, the game from five to game eight. Then we make only three points. We beat Kansas City, but we lost three games. Where I blame it on me. I blame it on me because I didn't realize that uh, at the moment the team needed something different, and I kept stubbornly trying to do something that the team wasn't uh, able to do. And we changed after game eight, after the game in Austin. And that was the turnaround of the season. Uh, we made some little tweak tactically. We spoke with all the players to get everyone on board. And from that day, from May, from the 1st of May till October, so seven months, uh, no, six months, basically, uh, we've been the number two team in MLS. Because in the last 26 games, we made 39 points, tied with Austin at the number two, behind all the LAFC. Unfortunately, we started... Uh, disastrously and that's the reason why we didn't make the playoff in the last game if you look just at the hard figures i i, I think people would look if, if they just look at standings they're going to see well the the team fell down three places they had less points their goal difference was a, a lot worse they, they scored less goals yeah. on paper it, it looks like the team regressed a bit but listening to you there you firmly believe it, it hasn't. And if you look, take the first eight games out of it, would you say the team has improved from last year or kind of yeah. stayed the same? I think, uh, uh, so we analyze a lot. We have a lot of data about uh, uh, how we build, how we consider. So, And I know it's hard to see it, but 
we actually defended much better than last year. We conceded a lot less of expected goals. We conceded a lot less of chances than last year. We've been uh, unlucky and uh, in the sense that the hard stats, they say that we conceded 10 goals more than the expected goals that we, had, we should have conceded. What we so I think that we played much better defensively. What we didn't do well compared to the 14 games that I did uh, the year before, it's we created much less. And uh, in terms of uh, expected goals offensively, uh, the it's it's a lot of things. But ideally, we should we should create kind of 20 25 percent more, and. Uh, and that's the thing that make us thinking about how go forward to the next year because uh, 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 our uh, attack looked sometimes uh, uh, not fluid like it should be, and uh, also because the way that we changed a little in order to make more results. So last year when I took over, we were all about high pressing, winning the ball high, and counter attack. This season, since because it wasn't working, we had to get lower our our line and uh, so we were winning the ball lower and it was we had to do a different job in order to bring the ball in in the in their in their box and uh, that helped us uh, against defensively but uh, we haven't did uh, the necessary step offensively to be uh, a playoff team pretty poor and simple if we look defensively then um, I mean, we we talked about it a lot over the year on our show. The back three, it, it felt for a long time. I know you'll disagree with me, but it felt like a long time. It just it wasn't working, not for any other reason than the players that were there didn't seem to really be the best personnel to play in a back three. And I know you've spoken a lot about it's not just the back three, you've got to look at the wing backs and you've got to look at the cover that they get in front of them and obviously the addition of Kubis really helped by that. And again, hindsight's always a wonderful thing, but you look at that end of the season and the switch to the back four and things just seem to really click. Do you feel you made that switch too late or do you still feel that the back three was the right way to, to go? Uh, I not only don't agree with you, but I you're wrong. So um, that's um, uh, it's not true that it didn't work. Uh, it didn't work the first eight games, but we could have played even back six. The first eight games we, we weren't doing well. It actually worked uh, for two thirds of the season, and even when we switched to the back four, we lost the first two games with the back four in in uh, in Kansas, in San Jose, and in. Uh, and in uh, Colorado. Uh, so uh, it's not a matter of numbers. I agree with you, it's a matter of personnel. So why did we switch to the back four? We switched the back four defensively because it was actually still a back three offensively. It was the fake with Jake uh, coming inside when we were attacking. Because we felt that the best player offensively that we could use at that moment were Gressel on the right and Luis on the left. And Gressel and Luis are not wingback, uh, in the sense that Gressel needs someone to to cover for him behind him because he's a very good offensive player 
but he was struggling to do all the all the all the all the band like up and down and the same for Luis on the left uh when we were successful with the back three it's because we play with natural wing backs there where they they were able to be midfielder and defender and and uh, at the same at the same time so it wasn't for me a problem of the three defenders but it was more a problem of the wing back so so Vanny, just over a year ago or nine months ago somewhere between nine and 12 months ago you talked about uh when it comes to wing backs how going yeah. into the season you uh, wanted to see um, Dajo, Dahomey, play 75% wing back and 25% yeah. up front. L- reflecting on the season, how do you how do you feel that played out? I think it it, it was one of the things that where I was saying at the beginning where uh, the wing back is actually I would say a good example. We had one positive story that is Ryan Raposo uh, that uh, we transform him in that position, and he I think it's his natural position now. I think it's a position where he can be an established MLS player. And then we thought, and I, I thought, that uh, Christian Dahomey could have been an, a weapon there in, in a way that making our team more offensive, playing him as a wingback, so having one more offensive player on the field. But actually, uh, it didn't go well. It didn't go well because uh, 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 he... Uh, he performed, I would say, sometimes good. Like in the final against Toronto, it was good uh, as a wingback. But most of the time, uh, he didn't do uh, the best performance. He was uh, late in the pressure, late becoming back a back three. And uh, his crossing uh, wasn't perfect. It was better when he was playing on the left and on the right. So that's one of the things that uh, I thought we could have worked him to be an established player in that position, and uh, we we failed. And we recognize at the end that uh, uh, he needs to play one of the uh, two players behind the strikers or second striker if we play with two strikers in order to be uh, a, a player that that is useful for us. Yeah, yeah. It just it just felt like watching. It felt like a, a square peg in a round hole a little bit, and it felt like that that his uh, like you said, lack of uh, contribution defensively hurt hurt your goals against, mm-hmm. and, and then it also hurt his form that we saw last season going forward, which hurt which hurt your goals for, which you know both of those were kind of in the bottom three four of the league, and it's and, and yet you out outperformed that as a team as a whole, um, but obviously those are areas where you're you're looking to you're looking to you know improve for for next season. So you're saying that going forward you, you see Dajo more as a out and out attacker. Yes, yes, yes. I see uh, Christian, uh, you know, like playing one of the two, 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 ten, two offensive midfielder behind the strike. Yeah. Uh, on the on another another wing back question for you, Christian Gutierrez. Yeah. Uh, feels it feels like this twenty twenty two season, like he was underutilized, um, and um, we like we like the club didn't get the best out of him. Uh, yeah, you, speak, uh, speak to that. Uh, I would say both the club and himself looked for. He, he didn't get the best out of it, so uh, he was injured a lot of time. Uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, I played him as a wing back two three games. I don't think he was doing a good job. 
So I tried to play him as a left center back. He plays left center back against Portland, against uh, against Montreal, and uh, then when we said when we switched to the other uh, after game eight, and we have a conversation, he, he told me no, I don't like to play left center back. Uh, I want to play as a wing back. I want to be in the wing back rotation. Okay, if you don't believe to play there, you play wing back, and uh, and we tried, and he played wing back there. Uh, then he got a little injured. He got a little injury, and uh, he was out. And when he got back, um, he let's say he wasn't picking up like the way that I would like him to pick up in in a whole sense, in the sense that he wasn't getting back from the injury. Uh, he was feeling detached from the team. He, fe- he felt himself outside the team. So I actually had an honest conversation with him at certain point in August. And I say, Christian, I don't think it's working uh, on a personal level, on a professional level. I think that uh, you would be better uh, to your, your our players. So uh, you are having like kind of the wrong energy at the moment. And so I say, in order to get back your right energy, you need to play with regularity and stay fit. So that's the reason why for a month, a month and a half, it was with the second team. Then he get back with us again, uh, and unfortunately get injured again on, on the on the calf. So that was the entire season with uh, with Guti. Uh, I'm sorry that he was in, injured back again because uh, probably the switch of the system to the back four would have helped him. Uh, because I think I think that uh, uh, wing back is not his position. I mean, do you see that he still has a future at the club with you, or yeah, yeah, yeah he's our player, and uh, and he's with us. I think that uh, the way that he came back after the month and a half with the second team, he uh, kind of uh, reinvigorated. He wants to have his spots back in the team. He wants to. He's he's happy again to be at training. He's energetic again to be at training. So uh, again, everything can happen in the market. You know, guys. Last year we were here talking about. Max is our fearless leader, and then the, the first day of training, he wasn't here. Uh, so everything can happen, but uh, at the moment, he's here. And uh, I'm telling you that we are planning at least, uh, of course, we haven't decided, but what we're training now is we are training with a back four at the moment, like to kind of be in ideas for next year. And if you're playing with the back four, it would be, of course, uh, uh, a solution as a left back for sure. I mean, if obviously you don't know what's going to happen over the the coming months and yeah. last year we, we spoke about how you wanted the second formation just to have that and th- there was a few things tr- tried this year some more su- successful than others one of the the other conversions like jake Nerwinski as a, a center back but it's always been strange to me that he was like on the left side Whereas he seemed to have his best games when he played right. more on the right side, like when he went back to right back at the end of the season and stuff like that. Is that something that you're still looking at? Or do you feel, if you go to a back two, do you feel you need to strengthen the centre-backs a, a little bit? I, I feel we need to strengthen every position. But it's... A, it's a, so at the moment, uh, under contract... Uh, you know we are still in discussion with with with, with everyone. So 
and and I don't know uh, what this discussion because they're not just uh, related to the fact that if we like a player or not, if like say there's a possibility the market and whatever something that can happen between now and November, and even after November because you can negotiate with the player even after, so that's that's okay. Uh, November, mid-November, whatever. I think that at the moment under contract we have only Ranko and Tristan and Matteo Campagna as a center. So for sure we'll we'll have someone more. Uh, there can be Jake Beck, there can be a, a new player. Uh, but for me, Jake is a center. So that's uh, that's pure and simple. He was playing right back defensively in the last uh, five games, but he was the right center back when we were attacking. So I I want to get to something you said there I guess I've come in a little bit softer at the start than I was going to as opposed to being really critical but you mentioned that they are about strengthening every position it feels to me as someone that's watched this team struggle for a, a number of seasons through MLS that it's always the team targets the playoffs and you said right from the start if you want to be an A grade you need to be more than that Yes, you're fighting on four fronts next season. So you've got yeah. MLS, Canadian Championship, Champions League, the League's Cup, all very exciting prospects, and I think it's going to be a wonderful year for football. But it does feel to be competitive on those four fronts and to take that next step, the team needs to really strengthen throughout. And whether you're talking about starters or whether you're talking about just depth there's a number of players and positions that it does feel that this team really, really needs to strengthen if you want to be competitive next year. Because you know that those teams, the likes of Seattle and Portland that didn't make the playoffs this year, they're going to go out and certainly strengthen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two things I want to say. So first of all, it's like, uh, I, I'm happy that it's not my job. I'm happy that it's the job of the front office to bring players and they are a little bit under pressure now. So, but it's uh, no. But the, uh, in the ideal world, I don't like to have a, a 28 player roster. I think this season, one of the problems that we have too much play. That's that's what I say. That's what I think. No, I agree. And, and uh, so I like to have uh, uh, a thinner roster. But with all quality players that can play at every moment, because I also I like to rotate players, and, and and next year that will uh, will have the possibility to do it because we're playing uh, for sure at least forty games uh, between League's Cup, Canada Cup, and and Champions League, and hopefully we're gonna play fifty games because we're gonna go uh, in, in like in the next rounds of every competition. Uh, so that's uh, that's the thing. The we know that we'll bring some new faces for sure. Uh, I don't think we will bring uh, 10 new players. That's uh, that's the thing. I think that we need to, to really carefully try to choose the player that can help us uh, making next steps. And it doesn't mean names. Eh? It doesn't mean big names. Oh, no, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's another thing that, okay, it's, it's not for me to say, okay, everyone would love to, but... Uh, I think that uh, uh, you need to find the, the the right player. Like I challenge everyone in the fan bases that if they knew who Andres Kubas was before coming in this team, 
if they knew who Ryan Gold was before coming in this team. So uh, I think that uh, we should also be proud sometimes that uh, because uh, uh, money don't go on the field, uh, quality players that go on the field, and uh, we need to carefully find those players that are useful for our project. No, I mean, we've said that for years. When you look at Portland and Diego Valeri and the impact he had, folk had no idea who Diego Valeri was. Sebastian Driussi, people had no idea who he was. So, I mean, it doesn't... I, I'm not all, I'm not for bringing in big names just to sell jerseys and make money on merchandise. I think it can disrupt a, a team as well. The, the way that the team finished this year as well... You want to send the fans home happy, and you did that with the last game at BC Place. But there's, is there maybe, is there maybe, yeah, is there maybe a danger though that that those three wins and they were three great wins, it maybe papered over the cracks a, a little bit as well because ultimately last year with the the Kansas City game. And then this year with the Minnesota game, which felt like a playoff game, it basically was a play-in game. The team failed when it really mattered to get over the line. Is there something you need to work on maybe mentally with the team or just just the way you approach those games? Uh, I don't want to say important games because we won important games, even do or die. I think we need to improve a lot on away games. Not not an important games. That's, that's, I think yeah. that the last game of the season was White Cups against uh, Minnesota. Instead of Minnesota against White Cups, we would have been in the playoffs. That's uh, that's what I think. I think that there's a clear, I don't want to say problem, yeah, issue problem. If you look at the hard numbers again, we are the number six team in MLS, six out of twenty-eight, and number three in the Western Conference in terms of uh, home uh, record. Uh, we made 33 points at home. Uh, we are number 26 out of 28 in terms of our away records. We only made 10 points away. So that's uh, what that that's a, that's an area that we need to to look at mentally. But I would say not only mentally. Uh, we are we are evaluating everything. How do we approach the game? Uh, the time of travel. What do we do before the game? Uh, what do we do? the day of the game in terms of activation when we are away. Because, uh, uh, again, the hard number says that uh, in uh, home, we are a team that could be in the in the conference final. And away, we are a team that is uh, that should play in USL. So that's, that's the thing. That's, that's, that's fair. Yeah, North, <laughs> North America away games are, yeah, uh, club level are very, very difficult. It was interesting to hear you and Axel talk about um, about yeah, about the going two days ahead versus the day before and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how you guys approach that in the in the, in the new year. Uh, I know Axel is is the GM. Yeah. Uh, but just kind of one one question. You're you're like a. You're, I sometimes I think of you or head coaches in your position who are they're kind of like a chef who are cooking with other people's ingredients. I guess just yeah. one quite one question about that. Uh, if you're if you can speak to this, is how how much do you do you get to submit a grocery list uh, how much did you get to uh, like input do you have in terms of that because obviously there, there must be conversations and stuff but yeah, like, yeah. what's the level of that or how no, much, the, the level is, the level is open because uh that's the idea of uh, uh 
of asking me, okay, what do you think about the team? Uh, how do you intend to play next year? Those kind of things. So in, if you want to do the analogy, I can tell them, yeah, maybe we need more vegetables, but they decide the vegetables. Maybe we need more meat, but they decide the kind of meat. And I think it's also fair. I'm giving you an, I'm giving you a practical example. We had this uh, 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 option renewed for Berhalter and Ryan Raposo, and I think I had a lot to a lot of say about that because it's one year. They're young players. They're already here. Say hey, they're they're growing. I think they're they're good for my system. I want I want to keep them. Blah blah blah. If we talk about bigger players, like uh, everyone talk now about Lucas Cavalli, and we know that. It's, we are talking about a multi-year investment, million of dollars of the club. It's This thing is bigger than me. This thing is much bigger than me because uh, my focus is trying to, first of all, do a good preseason, a good start of the season because I don't know if I'm here uh, to do this end of the chat uh, uh, for next year in 2023. For sure, the club will be here. For sure, the management will be here. So they are the guys that they have to take those decisions. And I'm happy that uh, I can be a chef on, uh, let's say, uh, very few chefs can decide which restaurant they work. A lot of chefs, hey, they call you from an Italian restaurant, maybe ne ne next, way, next, next year you're going to work in a vegetarian restaurant. So that's, uh, that's what happened to the coaches. We need to be ready to play in different way and with different players because uh, uh, I have not the, I would say, cockiness that I'm, that I'm like uh, Pep Guardiola, that, of course, wherever he goes, he, he decides what, what happened because he's bigger than the club sometimes. I am not. So, so that's, uh, that's what happened. I have two last things to, to ask you. Before I get to that, though, just because you mentioned Cava there, and I wasn't going to bring Cava up in this because you're constantly asked about Cava, but, <laughs> but when you're a coach on the sideline and you see your designated player just picking up stupid bookings getting involved in like idiotic yeah. things i mean what goes through your head you must just want to strangle them <laughs> so two things uh because there are two different situations i think the booking on the fight and the things that's kava and you never you should never take away that for kava because that's also part of his strength on scoring goals, being fearless, winning the winning the one v one physically. So I'm okay if he picks up some yellow because it, that's his way of playing, reckless sometimes. Of course, when you see him doing things like he did against Nashville, is uh, it's uh, it's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. He knows that. We know that, and uh, and something that. Uh, he needs to work on because even if he's is uh, not a young player anymore, but he still has a lot of year of career, and those are things that can uh, really taint him. And uh, so that's that's he needs to needs to work and and of course it makes me makes me angry as a mm -hmm. as a coach when I see that. But the first part, the fight part, and the fact that he. At the end of the season, he takes six, seven yellows and uh, and at least one suspension by yellow. I think it's something that is in is inside himself, and you shouldn't take it out. No, I mean I, I like an aggressive player. I can live with that as well. It's the stupid things that just drives me nuts because you know there's a talent there. Yeah, but... and the other thing that I want to say, it's 
of course, not the Nashville thing that I say it was stupid, but sometimes it, it pick yellow in order to defend teammates, in order to be there and uh, and be even the face of the fight of the club. So uh, I know that because I'm telling him a lot of time when I have to speak badly about him, but uh, in terms of uh, professionality and uh, being a part of the team is always been on top. Just want to quickly ask you about WFC two. Um, yeah. I thought the club utilised that team excellently this year, and the the call ups worked well. Ali Ahmed, great potential ahead for him. Simon Beecher, um, Brienza when he came in. I mean, you, you've got that talent there that's coming through. I know the team started strongly and then kind of dipped a little bit as the season went on. But how do you see utilising them next year? Do you want to? reward some of those guys with a contract or do you still like the fact that you can just call them up play them twice and then get a better look at them well there's some guys uh, that we're actually talking about uh, or integrating in the first team and i think that that's the why we have the second team uh so we saw one two guys that probably they will deserve an mls contract very soon uh the other thing is the the reason why I say we need a, a thinner roster, we have a second team that uh, can supply players in in moment of emergency. Yeah. So we, I want to to have a pipeline that is possible because I give you an example. Uh, uh, we have Ali and Simon Betcher uh, playing the big part in Houston, against Houston. Only because it was a COVID game and we had like I don't know 15 players out, okay? Because it wouldn't and and they showed they could have been part of it, but it would be impossible if it wasn't be a, a such a such an emergency like this. And it's also uh, hard for us to understand if they're gonna be the level to make the next steps if we if we never give them the chance to yeah. do it in training. So the reason and but it's hard to put the WFC two players ahead of a guy that is not playing in the first team with a first-team contract because, of course, then you have a, a lot of problem also in the group and also it's something that you don't know as a coach every time. You you try to rely, okay, no, let's play this guy because it's, I always see him every every day. So that's the reason why I think that uh, not having a big roster next year will provide even more chance of integration in training session and uh, and uh, sometimes in the game for the WFC2 players, because I think what we should aim is at least to have uh, uh, one guy every year that come through and become uh, a first-team player for the next season. Last thing, I really appreciate your time. Uh, as always, Vani, you've always been very generous when we, we want to speak to you about these things. And you touched on this midweek with the, the main end-of-season thing. But I, I just wanted to end with, with asking you, like, what did you learn about yourself in 2022? And what kind of Vanny are we going to see in 2023? Well, I learned uh, 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 one thing more important than ever, that uh, if, you see, if I see something that is not working, I need to intervene immediately. Immediately. Instead of saying, no, let's see... If the things improve and then these things ripe and and uh, and uh, it's gonna be a problem for the team. So what I would do this season would would, would be 
changing that tactical tweak at game five instead of game eight and uh, uh, and making those changes uh, earlier when I see that one thing doesn't doesn't work. So that's the thing that I learned. The second thing that I uh, I didn't learn, but because I already knew, but you need to remind yourself a lot of time that you are the coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps, is not Vanni Sartini FC. So uh, even if you think that your ideas are the best, sometimes you need to do what the best for the so sometimes every time you need to do what the best for the club. So uh, I think. Uh, uh, that's what I need to remind uh, myself every time because uh, I consider myself a creative person and uh, as every creative person sometimes I get lost in the in the in the high of my idea and I try to do things that probably uh, I have to do I have to think about it uh, more so that's the thing that's great. Thank you so much. Uh, what's it going to take to get you to wear an AFTN t-shirt on the sidelines for one of the games? <laughs> Give me, I'll, uh, I'll do it. We, we, we did it one with uh, all the supporters. I, I know. Did, I, I wanted to do I was very proud because it was my idea too, to do it with the supporter group because uh, I really love our supporter groups. I think that uh, uh, they kind of are underappreciated, even in the sense of the support that they give because the way that the stadium is, they're far from. So they, they our other supporters uh, seems that they are better or more choreographic. But no, I love. So I, I, I was I was very happy to 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 kind of honor them. We can we can do next year with uh, all the podcast and journey. So I can do. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I've been meaning to get t-shirts for ages. That'll spur me on. Thank you so much, Vanny. Really appreciate it. Have a good trip back to Italy. Thank you. And man. look forward to seeing what 2023 holds in store. Fantastic, guys. Thank you. Really Thank great. Vanny Sartini there will unpack a little bit of that and some of the stuff that was said by Vanny and Axel during the week as well in part three and we'll be back with that after this. Hey, I am Axel Schuster and I'm listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, you might be thinking, didn't you just play that song? And you'd be right. Yes, I did. Because that was a cover of the song that kicked off part two, Beat Happenings Hot Chocolate Boy, but that was a version by Ho. Kind of interspersed into their own song forming. I just really like that version because, as I've spoken about on the show before, big fan of Courtney Love's Hall. Back in Scotland, I had a almost life-size picture of her up on my wall, a big poster of Courtney in a suggestive pose. And I always loved the band, always loved their music. Are you a big fan of Courtney Love's Hall, Zach? Uh, I mean, not, I don't like hate it, it's just not, not my favourite. Eh, that's fair enough. That That's why we... Don't get you to pick any of the artists of the month on the show. So, not a fan of her or them, but are you a fan of hot chocolate? Uh, I mean, when I'm eating carbs, I guess, sure. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I don't drink coffee, right? So, I'm, I'd be more probably... Right mm. now, a warm cup of tea would, would be my preference. Oh, Yeah, it depends on where you get it. I, I, I envision, like, all those, like, outdoor events I've been to where it's, like, really watery maybe not made with any milk or cream or whatever it's not really good it's just it's more to keep your hands warm Mm -hmm. than than anything the taste it just tastes like a little bit of chocolate flavored hot water Um, but a good hot chocolate i think is great i'm kind of i always like the idea i think of hot chocolate more than i actually enjoy having the the hot chocolate itself i have kind of moved up though into a higher hot chocolate bracket and buying a, a lot more of the more expensive hot chocolate brands as well and it, it does make a difference i i certainly would say that but folk aren't here to listen to us talk about hot chocolate i don't know maybe they are maybe that'll be a whole new offshoot of the podcast we'll we'll see about that we'll get back to the football chat now and we'll unpack a little bit of what vanny spoke to us about there it's refreshing to to see the honesty really zach that he holds his hands up and he admits things that he got wrong although i I think me and him are going to disagree about the back three working for perpetuity perhaps yeah yeah i i I, if we had more time i might have asked him more about like because i've heard him speak a little bit about before but just more his why he thinks it's the best is it is it just uh is it the personnel is it his personal preference is it what he thinks is where the game is at right now, kind of in this moment, uh, is it something else? So, yeah, I yeah, he's not going to agree. He's clearly not going to agree with you on that, and clearly not going to. I think we would also agree to disagree that you know Jake Norinsky is a center back, but oh, although he did say that they are working on a back four currently in training, so to me that's kind of agreeing that that yeah. right now with who they have available, because obviously you can only train with the players that signed. Well, th- well, that's part of it. This I, I always wonder with coaches who have tried a back three, right, is that a, a back four seems more simplistic and what more players have grown up playing, right? So when you go to a back three, it's like it's it's another layer of compl- complexity, right? It's, it's not as easy to play. It's not as comfortable. You haven't played it as much, all that kind of stuff. So um, I think that especially with <laughs> – with the limited number of people they maybe have right now, back four is probably simpler. But in the in the, the postseason press conference, he also said we want to have multiple ways to play. He didn't even say just two. He said we want to be able to play in different ways. So I think the the one good thing about their extensive use of a back three 
is that it does allow them to play in a different way. You just hope that they'll be able to play it well, or, or they'll be able to play it in a better way in the future. I mean, before we we spoke to him, I'd kind of I jotted down the questions, and this was like before he'd spoken Wednesday uh, as well, and I I felt I was maybe being a little bit harsh the way that was going to come in, um. And then I kind of took a step back and thought about the season. And as he mentioned there, and he mentioned on Wednesday, and Axel did as well, from game nine onwards, they were the second best team in the West with the results. I still feel, though, that those three wins towards the end of the season did paper over the cracks that, that were there. But I don't know if that's being harsh, because if you look at three quarters of the season... They were getting the results done. And we can pinpoint where it went wrong. And you can pinpoint the first eight games. But you can also pinpoint that spell at home after winning the Canadian Championship where it really came off the rails and they lost some key games. And just one of those different result, and they would be a playoff team. They would have been a, a competitive playoff team because their away form is so poor. It is a whole other thing. Yeah, I think you, your perspective is fair in, in terms of papering over the cracks, cracks because it did, really, right? It set up a playing game to end the season. But yeah, I think the messaging is clear, right, from the from the Whitecaps. Having listened to him now, Benny now, have their press conference they put out, it's very clear that it's like we did not succeed in making the playoffs because of the first eight games. And I think in this conversation we just had with Benny, he is – uh, distilled it even more than he did in the press conference where he said, look, the first four games was our preparation wasn't good enough. And so those first four games were like our preseason, which we, I think we kind of talked about at the, at the beginning. Yeah, and he is oh. right because that this was an awful preseason. Yeah. And I, I'd actually forgotten until he mentioned it there that they couldn't travel initially because of COVID because it had derailed some of the plans that they had. And, then and then the games that they ended up playing really were... And, and, and like you said there, when they were in California, not enough of them. They yeah. Play more. So it's good that they recognize that. Obviously, their their hands were tied. So that's as much as you said, it was everyone's fault and no one's fault. Like, you can't really, I think the conditions where the world was at and all that kind of stuff, you know, you have to give them some grace, I think, in that. Yeah. Um, but then, and then he said, look, games five to eight, they're on me. They're, you know. Yeah. And, so and was, I, I, I appreciate that. I, so I, I like that. It was so nice to hear someone in the organization hold their hand and say, look, I got this wrong. Um, so I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. But, uh, sorry, my concern is that using that as um, the rationale, the reasoning for not making the playoffs, could once again hinder them from making the types of, of acquisitions that they need to make in the offseason. In the same yeah. way that, was it last year, where they're like, oh, we were so close, or two years ago? Yeah, because he said we're not going to bring in 10 players. and Which is okay, that's okay. Well, I'd it's... like them to bring in 10 players, that's the thing. It's like, all these players that haven't signed the options, and we'll come to that in this part in a sec, I'm happy if they all move on and they just do bring in a bunch of new players. But then you are bringing in new players that have to get chemistry with everyone and understand the systems and everything like that. I get that as well. You can't always just blow things up. It yeah, just at, feels the need to, to take this next step. Yeah, look at Nottingham Forest, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, we, um, don't, we don't want to be like them. No, but uh, even though they brought in some quality players, that's mm -hmm. a whole other discussion. But no, I, to me, the number's, not, the number's not the important thing. Obviously, if it's like two or three players, that's probably not enough. 
but overall, the number is not the most important thing. I think it's the quality of what yep. they bring uh, is the most important. Yeah, it has to be better. If they bring in four to six players and they are uh, considerable upgrades on what they had in 2022, uh, then I think that they could be competitive on the four fronts that they'll be facing in 2023. Yeah, and it's going to be tough. And they, they are starting the year in the Champions League and they're starting... I mean, the, the pre-season... Uh, they're going to Europe. I understand it's Spain that they're going to. And then they're also uh, going to be taking part in a Palm Springs tournament against MLS opposition. And I like that. And they need to do that. And I might go down for that. It should be a, a, a fun kind of trip because, you know, my love for these pre-season tournaments. I don't think Mickey Mouse will be there this year. I don't know what they have in Palm Springs. I always mix up Palm Springs and Palm Beach. Palm Springs is not... It's not it's the deserty one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it's driving distance to Disneyland, so you can go get another type of Mickey Mouse company. Oh, <laughs> awesome. I might take Caitlin and, and the dog down then. There might go. be a nice little pre-season trip for us. Can you, we'll take see the how dog? can you take the dog to Disneyland? They've got Pluto and Goofy. Yeah, that's true. You just say it's your emotional support animal? Is that how it works? Yes. That's Caitlin, really, most of the time. But um, it, it was good. We'll see how it all goes. The next... The end of the year is going to be interesting because if they are going to be going away, they'll be back pre-season earlier this year because of Champions League. So they're going to be going away by the sounds of it right after the medicals to to Europe. So you're going to think that they're going to be making some additions and Axel kind has kind of hinted this things in the works, uh, which you kind of have to imagine might be trades within the league if that's already in the works. So could be interesting with options and trades and, and stuff like that. But I, I feel I feel more positive about the team than I was come the end of the season, where I was a little bit down about it, I've got to say. Yeah. I mean, Vanny's a very reassuring kind of calming kind of yeah. person. Yeah. I mean, he, he puts a spring back in my step, so you can imagine what he does to the players in the locker room. But that... Was as we said, appreciate Vanny taking the time to speak to us. Uh, Axel was also speaking to media during the week, so we'll chat a little bit about some of the things that that he had to say uh, on that midweek call, and then we'll chat to Axel later this year once more decisions have been made on, on options and stuff. On last week's show, we did our in out on the bubble piece that we do at the, the end of every season, just looking at who we thought the Whitecaps should bring back, who it's time to move on, etc, etc. And we wanted to get that in because we knew that this coming week was likely to see the announcements of what roster players and what decisions had been made on certain players. And we got some of them this week. On Tuesday, the Whitecaps announced that the club had exercised the 2023 contract options on four players. Those four players being Sebastian Berhalter, Isaac Bomer, Julian Gressel, Ryan Raposo. And those players, pretty much what we thought was going to happen. We went back and forth on a couple of them as to whether there could be better options out there. But I think it was pretty obvious that all four of them were certainly going to be back. No, so, no big surprises. No. The couple we thought, oh, it could go either way. Now, there's also continuing discussions with a, a number of players because the, the club's deadline for options to be exercised is November 14th. So right now, 
They are having discussions on options on Lucas Cavallini, Derek Cornelius, who of course is away on loan through to the end of this year with Greek side Panatolikos. Cody Cropper, Marcus Godinho, Jake Nowinski, Leo Wusso, Tossin Ricketts. Also in talks with Florian Jungwirth, who's eligible for MLS free agency. And I, I don't think a, a lot of surprises there. I mean, these were players that either I said didn't want back or we thought they may have discussions and if they can't get anyone better, might bring back. But... I think we're on the the same wavelength as to, to our feelings on that because ultimately the Whitecaps have to get better for 2023. They're fighting on four fronts. If they want to be a playoff team, they have to get better. If they want to be competitive in the Champions League, if they want to be competitive in the League's Cup, if they want to be competitive in the Canadian Championship, they have to be better. They need better depth. And I think that is what the, the club are looking towards. Because one of those players, Lucas Cavallini, and there, there's been murmurs this week on social media that the, the club are trying to see if Lucas would be willing to come back on a cheaper deal. And I can see why that would be a, a, appealing to the club. I would say, though, I, even on that, I'm, I still don't think he should come back here. I don't particularly want him to, to come back here. Would you take him back on a, a cheaper deal, Zach? It, it, maybe our understanding is incorrect, but that's what I've been led to believe before. But if, if, it, if that understanding is correct, there's zero, there's zero reason why Cava would agree to a lower term than his option year already dictates, right? Like, I mean, there's there's been rumours this week as well that, that there's clubs in Europe that's interested in taking on Cavallini. I, I was a little bit surprised, I've got to say, by some of the online reaction from fans that were like, oh, you've got to bring him back and he he's too key a player not to bring back and his he gets goals and you know what you can get from him in that regard. And the reason I'm like a bit surprised by that is you look at his output and there's been 18 goals in three seasons and for a designated player striker that is simply not good enough when you look around the rest of the league and what designated players are performing and what they're producing and adding to a team what Cava's produced aside from all his other issues with discipline stuff like that it, it's simply not good enough in my my opinion and I do think people have a lot of slack in that regard because he's a Canadian, because he's a Canadian national team player. And if this was a, a, a forward, a DP that wasn't Canadian, I don't think fans would be feeling the same way about him and his production. Well, and yeah, and because his significant contributions to Canada, especially, you know, uh, kind of building up to this World Cup run, right? That that goal against the States, right? Like, I think has bought a lot of goodwill uh, from, from some people for him for a long time. But um, the production that you just mentioned of 18 over 3 is not acceptable for a DP, even a DP at a low DP salary, which I would deem his salary to be. Like, to me, it's not it's not worth it. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we'll see what happens with Kava. The time we speak to Axel next month, we might be a little bit further forward as to, to what's happening there. 
the, there's some players though that definitely won't be coming back. The, there's four that did not have their contract options exercised. Janiel Bekel, David Egbo, Evan Newton, Michael Baldissimo is out of contract and he's eligible for the MLS re-entry draft. But as we said last week, it's best for player and team, I think, that, that Michael moves on now. I'm, I, I'm not too upset that, that Bikel and Egbo aren't coming back. Newton, I would have liked back, but obviously there's issues that, that prevent that happening from a family point of view. But we touched on this in last week's show because worryingly for me, you look at the first team players under contract for 2023 and you look at the goalkeepers and you've got Thomas Asal, Isaac Bomer and Max Anker who had signed a a pre-contract this year and is on the roster. Now, we said if that was your goalkeeping core, even with Copper in, Cropper in there for next season, that that was a concern. You look at Bomer, Hassel and Anker, and that's a big concern. And I would say I'm fairly confident that that is not going to be the three MLS goalkeepers that's on the roster come first kick next season. But they surely have to add... Uh, an experienced goalkeeper in there. And I mean, that's great for your salary budget, but, and I, I'm all for Hassal again, being given uh, the, the, the number one job um, and then rolling with that uh, for at least another year, maybe longer. But yeah, you do, I agree with your, you know, longstanding perspective that they need an experienced keeper in the team. Now, talking of goalkeepers and the importance of having a, a good goalkeeper. Jim Curtin was interviewed by Taylor Twellman at the, the halftime of, the, the, I think it was the Texas Derby, it's up the games of all kind of just going into one today. And Curtin said the Philadelphia Union's analytics department has identified the goalkeeping position as the singular most important position when it comes to points gained, points saved, overall in a season, in matches. And he's spot on, because I feel that in MLS in particular, with it being a salary cap league, and you can look at it here in Vancouver on and off over the years as well, but I don't think we've been that bad here in that regard. A lot of teams across MLS undervalue the importance of having a goalkeeper. And you look at some of the top teams. Philadelphia have Andre Blake, absolutely fantastic goalkeeper, three-time goalkeeper of the year in MLS. You saw Sean Johnson for New York City today, and we'll come to that when we talk about the playoffs, but he stood on his head for NYC in that first half with a couple of world-class saves. And it's just so important to have that. Here in Vancouver, you look at our goal difference for the season, and you're pushing for the playoffs, but you finished the season with a goal difference of minus 17. How different could that have been with a different goalkeeper in there if Max Cripple had hung around and had stayed in there? And I think the Whitecaps need to go out and bring in an experienced, good goalkeeper that challenges Thomas Asile, maybe takes the number one spot, but it's a key position for them. I'm not saying a good goalkeeper would have stopped all those goals that went in the back of the net, but I think we've seen over the years with the likes of 
Ousted and Kripo and Marinovic, if you spend money on a top goalkeeper, you do get those big saves that can sometimes turn games around. Yeah, there's a reason why LAFC was willing to depart with so much, you know, gam tam to get Maxime Kripo because he showed in Vancouver that he is a, a difference maker when it comes to, you know, points. So, I mean, I speak about depth and that I, I hope the Whitecaps are going to be better in depth and better all round and improving the team. And I, I'm quietly confident that they will go out this off-season and make those additions and build to the core players that they currently have in. And I, I think we will be seeing a better Whitecaps in 2023. Yeah, I think the hope is, and you've, you've talked about this before, I think, but the hope is that the fact that they're in the the Concacaf Nation or the Concacaf uh, Champions League is that is that they can't you know, wait till the summer to bring in difference makers. They need some. Uh, they need to bring in some quality and get them ready. Uh, and hopefully, yeah. like you said, the the preseason, the preseason that they've they've planned will will do that. So let's hope all of that comes to pass. Anyway, I want to get into a little bit of what Axel said during the week in his kind of end-of-season wrap-up press conference. And we won't get into it all, but just a couple of things that he said was, he said it's disappointing in not making the playoffs, and everyone at the club is disappointed in that. He said that their job now is to look at why that happened, what has held them back from making the playoffs, and everything's on the table. They've worked a, a long time on things they need to improve upon but it's good that they are looking at all aspects and when he said that he he went on to clarify he's not talking about oh I'm gonna just fire the coach because we didn't make the playoffs because it's always awkward when he's sitting there at these end of season press conferences beside the coach you're kind of limited as to what you can say but it's good that they're going to analyze everything And I think that is in part why they haven't made decisions on a number of these players yet because they're looking to see if we take up this option, can we trade him somewhere? Can we sell him? Are we going to get money back for maybe selling over to Europe or or something like that? Can we get better players or is this the best that we can get in the short term? So I like that they're keeping their options open because that's exactly what they need to do. I mean, I, I think we can firmly say that, as we talked to Vanny about there, the team that finished 2022, if you look at the best 11, is better than the best 11 of the team that finished 2022. On the whole, some positions are possibly weaker, as in goalkeeper, but the the, the scouting, the recruitment, the work that Axel and Nick Overhill have done, the players that they brought in, Kubis, Schopf, the trades within the league for like Gressel, these are all key pieces that's made the team better. And hopefully we move forward and they continue a pace by doing those kind of strong additions. And like I said, I genuinely feel 2023 we will see a better Whitecaps team out there. And they need to, because as I said, fighting on four different fronts this year. And if your depth is not better, you are going to struggle. So we'll see what the off-season brings. That is it for our Whitecaps chat for the show. But it's not it for our MLS chat, because we're going to move on now in the final part of the show by looking at the playoffs. 
both in Major League Soccer and the Canadian Premier League. And we'll be back chatting about all of that after this. Hi, I'm Max and Kierbolf, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. People talk about the right way to live. Shut up, you don't know what you're on about. You voted for him, look at you, you dirty rat. You don't know what you're on about You voted for him, look at you, you dirty rat Blaming everyone in the hospitals Blaming everyone at the bottom of the English Channel Blaming everyone who doesn't look like a fried animal This is espionage And you're the self-saboteur This is espionage And you're the self-saboteur Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's former Artist of the Month here at AFTN, Sleaford Mods, and their new song that was released this week. It's a collaboration with the iconic 90s electronic band from the UK, Orbital, and that was Dirty Rat. Check out the video for that on YouTube. It's a fantastic song, fantastic video. Do you know what else was fantastic? All the playoff action this weekend. And we're going to get into that now. We're going to be talking CPL playoffs, but we're going to start talking MLS playoffs. And two matches played on Thursday night, two matches played on Sunday and some fantastic football, some fantastic individual performances, and some absolutely amazing atmospheres as well, Zach. Yeah, I think I think the league will be happy in, in terms of the advertisement it is for them. Uh, I think there was a lot of interesting and uh, there's some even some quality football played. And I think for the most part, I want a Montreal to go through, but I think for the most part, the right teams went through. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's let's get into that because. I was thinking about this earlier, and I think it's fair to say that there's, for, for neutrals, there's some matches that you're now looking forward to next weekend. There's some, eh, maybe not so much, and you're a bit disappointed with how things worked out. And there's some you're like, oh, worst case scenario. And for me, it's the CPL one that, that will come to. But let's just focus on MLS just now, and we're going to start things off in the Western Conference. So we now know that the MLS Western Conference final next Sunday is going to be between the top two teams that finished the, the West in the regular season standings as LAFC are going to be hosting Austin FC. And I think for all the neutrals, that's probably the, the final that you were wanting. So let's look at how both teams got there and let's start with the LA Derby on Thursday night and what a match this was, what a playoff game this was and it was a great showcase for what this league can offer. You expected it. It's like these two teams, whenever they meet, they do seem to bring the fireworks and it's just the, the same again in this one. It doesn't matter who's playing for the teams, they just seem to up the level, the atmosphere 
was absolutely fantastic at Bank of California Stadium. Dennis Buanga, the Gambian, put LAFC ahead in the 23rd minute. And you thought, oh, maybe they're going to go on now and kind of get this done quite easily. But a minute before halftime, Grand Seer equalised for LA Galaxy. They spoke to Greg Vanny at halftime and he was delighted with his team's performance. He felt LAFC weren't really offering any attacking threat to them and thought that they could get the job done in the second half. With 10 minutes remaining though, when Buanga made it 2-1 to LAFC, I'm not sure he was thinking the same thing. But then, fantastic goal. In the 85th minute, Dejan Jovelic, the Serbian, a long-range looping effort that beat Max Kripo all ends up. And you thought, well, this game's going to be heading to extra time and I'm here for it. I'm here for that extra 30 minutes, but not so quick because Chicho, Christian Arango, 93rd minute, tucked it away from close range and sent the black and gold faithful into absolutely rapturous scenes and clinched a place in the Western Conference final for LAFC and capping off an absolutely fantastic match, Zach. Yeah, huge for Steve Trundolo and Mark DeSantos and their staff and all the players. Um, those LAFC derbies are have been uh, mostly uh, enthralling and spectacular, and uh, it's been, I think, a real a real boon for the league. Right when you consider back the old Chivas USA days, oh, and, yeah, uh, the lack of uh, enthusiasm that was around that. Um, but no, yeah, really great for LAFC, and they're trying to make this push to get to the the final for the first time, in addition to their supporter shields. And talking about the atmosphere again, I mean, it was just absolutely electric on Thursday night, and it's just one of those games that you, you just see it on the TV, and you're like, oh, I wish I was there to kind of experience that. And of course, Max Cripo, one of the things he said when I spoke to him earlier this year was... He was looking forward to, to playing in, in front of that crowd and that atmosphere. And some people here in Vancouver took that as a slight. And I, I don't think he totally meant it that way. And I would say if you're comparing the, the atmospheres at Bank of California Stadium and at BC Place, the LAFC fans, it's a much better atmosphere. And that's not me knocking the Whitecaps fans, because the Whitecaps fans have been excellent this season. And I want to give a hat tip to Vancouver Albion that's just breathed new life into the Whitecaps support. And it has been great, but it's what you get in a soccer-specific stadium, a more intimate venue as opposed to like a cavernous venue like BC Place. And you see it around the league, and we're going to talk about the Texan Derby in a minute and the atmosphere in Austin, and it's it's just what, what comes to that. And I, I don't knock Max at all for making comments like that. And of course, a lot of people here in Vancouver will have wanted the Galaxy to win and will be firmly in the anyone but LAFC camp because of Max Cripo, because of Mark DeSantis. They're not going to want them to win. And I totally understand that and I would not knock anyone for that at all. I, on the other hand, fall in the complete opposite. I do want LAFC to win because of Max, because of MDS, because, I mean, it, it's no secret we had a really good relationship with them here on the podcast and they were always great with us, very generous with their time and we're all, always great to deal with and I've, I just, I wish them all the best and I think it'll be fantastic for them if they go on and lift the MLS Cup. 
course, they're two games away from that now. Standing in their way of getting to the MLS Cup final are Austin FC, second season team, and they're already in a Western Conference final. And it was a dream, really, for MLS. You had an LA derby, you had a Texan derby. And the atmospheres in both were tremendous. And that game in Austin, absolute cracker on, on Sunday night. Austin came through it 2-1. Both the goals for Austin coming in the first half, two goals in a, a three-minute spell. GTA put them in the lead in the 26th minute, and then, of course, who else? Sebastian Driussi in the 29th minute with a nice finish. That was to prove to be the match winner because Velasco did pull one back for Dallas in the 65th minute. And, I mean, in the first half, I thought, oh, Austin's just going to push on. They're going to go out of sight here. But to Dallas's credit, they fought back so well in that second half. And I thought they could equalise and take the game to extra time. Wasn't to be, though. Austin run out 2-1 winners. And you've got to say a huge well done to Austin. But you've also got to say, as well, a big well done to Dallas. Because last year, the Texan teams, a bit of a laughing stock in MLS. The three of them. Didn't make the playoffs. Now you've got two of them in a game like this, really turning things around, and it was another great occasion. And for Austin, as so much of it has been this season, led by their main man, Sebastian Driussi. Yeah, not a BC place, but in in the, the rest of the season, ma- massive for them. Um, yeah, I they uh, it, it's again, it's another example. There's been loss over the years of how you can transform your team in MLS, right? From, you know, first-year expansion out of the playoffs to, uh, you know, going to the conference final the, the next year. So it's LAFC, Austin, battling it out in the West for a, a place in the final. That game goes on Sunday at 12 o'clock Pacific time. Should be an absolute cracker. I'm surprised it's not the, the later of the two games I've got to say and it's clashing with a lot more NFL games which just seems a a little bit weird to me but whoever gets through that is going to meet the winner of the Eastern Conference Final and that's going to be between the number one Eastern team over the regular season Philadelphia Union and defending MLS Cup champions New York City FC now Philly got through on Thursday night and probably the worst of the, the four games that, that were played in the playoffs this last couple of days. 1-0 win over FC Cincinnati. Wasn't a classic game. I mean, that said, the two teams combined for 31 shots between them, but Cincinnati pushed hard towards the end and talked about Dallas and how they've turned their season around. It was a, a great turn around for Cincinnati as well just getting into the playoffs and they've battled hard and they're they're playing a good brand of football and for the fan base that they've got it's it's great that they've managed to turn that around from a Philadelphia point of view very well deserved that they're in the Eastern Conference final and spoken about this a lot on the show before their head coach Jim Curtin one of my favorite coaches to to speak to in the league always gives well thought out measured answers he's always a pleasure to deal with i'm just delighted for him and with what he's built in philadelphia just now very very impressive yeah i I didn't really love him at first when he was first in in the league but he's definitely grown on me and 
yeah, he, he's turned into quite a quality uh, head coach in MLS, and yeah, happy for for him. And Philly will be hosting New York City FC, who got through 3-1 with a victory at Montreal on Sunday afternoon in a very entertaining match. If you haven't seen that one, try and check out the highlights of that. And it was very much a smash-and-grab effort from New York City FC, who put on a clinic as to how to take your few chances when they get them. Maxi Morales put them in the lead six minutes in, Montreal then just threw everything at NYC to try and get back into the game. They came so close. Kai Kamara denied by the post. Sean Johnson, two massive saves and like world-class saves we're talking about as well. And they really should have converted one of those chances, got into the half level and then see where the second half took them. Instead, they fell two behind three minutes in the first half stoppage time through Heber, and then it was an uphill battle after that. They went three down from the spot, Talis Magno, in the 61st minute, but Montreal would not give up, roared on by a very raucous crowd as well in Montreal, and Mihailovic pulled one back in his last game in a Montreal jersey with five minutes to go, and they pushed hard, they nearly got another, but it was it's too little too late. NYC saw it out and moving on now to what should be a very interesting matchup now with Philly. For Montreal, it was a fantastic season. And it was a season that you also have to look at and you've got to feel it's like an end of an era, I think, because of the number of players that we either know are going to be moving on or you think are more than likely going to move on, especially they've got a defence that's built on a lot of Canadians, so if they have a very good World Cup, there's going to be a lot of interest in them from clubs overseas to try and get a, a deal done. Got to give Nancy a lot of credit for what he's done in Montreal this season. Bit of a slow start, and then they really came onto their game, played a very exciting brand of football as well. They've been a joy to watch this year. Great atmosphere at the stadiums as well. And yeah, let's see where the future takes CF Montreal. We'll get one of our friends from the Ballers Round podcast on as well, maybe to chat about Montreal's season and how they feel that the future might be in store later on this year. So that's the two conference finals set. LAFC Austin, Philly New York City FC. Who have you got getting through and battling it out in the MLS Cup, Zach? I think it's going to be LAFC on the on the western side, and I think it's going to be. I want it to be Philadelphia, but I have a, just a horrible feeling it's going to be Man City Light again. I think LAFC will get through as well. I think it's going to be a very tough and a close game, and would not be surprised if we see that one go to extra time, maybe even penalties as well. In the East. I mean, you've got to think Philly are the favourites. Just the way NYC have been playing and keen to defend their title, I've just got this hunch that it's going to be NYC FC go through. And then that's the dream for MLS. And LA, New York City, MLS Cup. The marketing opportunities, it's like a dream come true for them. MLS will love that, right? They're New York, LA. Yeah. So by next Sunday night, we're going to know who is going to be contesting the MLS Cup final. 
We already know who's going to be contesting the Canadian Premier League Championship game because the second leg of the semi-finals took place on Sunday. They're all done and dusted and by the end of it, we're left with the final. I don't think either of us really wanted, Zach, as it's going to be Atletico Ottawa hosting Forge FC and all Ontario clash and one soccer are just going to be so delighted about that. Yeah, I'm from Ontario. I didn't want the Ontario final. <laughs> so let's look at both the second legs and how things played out. And in the first match, Pacific headed to the capital, trailing 2-0 in the first leg. Certain big mouths on TV declared it over. And you knew that was going to have lit a fire under Pacific to, to try and get the job done and to try and come back. And they, I mean, one hell of a battle. TMG put them ahead in the 28th minute. Throughout the game, they had 27 shots to Ottawa's 13. Nine of them on target. But they couldn't find another way through. They couldn't find another way past Ingham. And then as they pushed, as they tried to get that equaliser that would have sent the game to penalties, seven minutes to go, Malcolm Shaw... Great strike, great long ranger. Tied it up on the day. That's how it finished. 1-1, 3-1 to Ottawa on aggregate. And they've gone from last place in the CPL standings in 2021 to the championship game in 2022. Heartbreak for Pacific FC. Yeah, I feel bad for Callum. On the, I feel like he didn't really see the shot. No. You know, he didn't really sort of almost didn't almost move. Um yeah, I felt really bad for him on that. So as much as we wanted Pacific to, to obviously go through to the final and try and defend their, their title, happy for some of the guys that we know on that Ottawa side, Ben McHenry, who we've known for a number of years, Zach Verhoeven as well, Ollie Bassett, who I'm a big fan of, nice to see that he did get the nod in the, the Player of the Year nominations as well, as we talked about on last week's show. For Pacific, I think it's just just highlighted to them as to the, the need they've got for a number nine striker. And when you've got those shots and you can't convert it, missing that big centre forward is, is what really cost them. But now that we know Ottawa's in the final, I mean, for me, I, I just I want Ottawa to go in and win it now. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I think more, I think this, we've talked about this in previous finals. There's, a, I think, a, a significant, like, Anyone but Forge. Yeah, <laughs> ABF, anyone but Forge. And I, I know we've got some Forge fans that listen to this. And hey, I will cheer your team on when they're representing the CPL in any CONCACAF competitions. But I, I don't know what it is. I just find it hard to to cheer for them in the, the CPL. And I think Bobby Smirniotis is a great coach. He's one of the best Canadian coaches out there. And he should go on to bigger and better things. But I'm wanting Ottawa to get this job done. But let's look at how Forge got to that final. Wow, what a game that was. So many talking points. It finished Forge 2, Cavalry 1, which saw Forge go through 3-2 on aggregate. All the goals came in the second half of this one. David Chonier put Forge ahead in the 69th minute. Six minutes later, Rubens Passius from the spot, made it 2-0, and you're thinking, I don't want to sound like Gareth Wheeler there, but you're thinking game over, but nope, 78th minute, Meyer Bevan 
pulled one back for Cavalry, who really threw everything up for us to try and get that breakthrough. But again, it was a case of what I spoke with with Montreal, too little, too late. And they just couldn't get that equaliser and send that game to penalties. Despite all those goals and the action, the main talking points that came out of the match all happened at the end of the first half, and it was two red cards. The first of them to Kyle Becker in the 43rd minute for, as Terry Dunfield worded it on the commentary, Elijah Adekugbe running into Kyle Becker's foot. You know, the foot that was about five or six feet off the ground. I appreciate Terry, but I don't I don't agree with him on this one at all. Like, I mean, I think you said it to me too. Like, Becker looks and sees him. Yeah, yep. He looked up to see where the player was. He saw that the player was there, but still went for the ball and still raised his foot. And this is not one of those ones where, like, Elijah ducks down to like, get his head low. Right, like he hardly moves his head down yeah. at all to, to go towards the ball, and it's just he gets kicked in the face. I, how how you can how you can argue? I mean, unless it's one of those, hey, we need someone to disagree. So it sounds it sounds like we have some kind of you know um, conflict or discord, you know, whatever. Like that to me, there's no excuse for that. And yeah, Kyle Becker will watch that back later, and if he feels hard done by, uh, then he's out of touch with reality. And this isn't just us wearing our cavalry-tinted glasses. I mean, it, it was a clear red card for, for me. I don't don't see any doubt about it, and I'd feel the same no matter what teams were playing. No, I mean, because, I mean, let's talk, let's talk about cavalry. I mean, we've had we've had this conversation for, I forget how long, it was back to at least last year for, for them, because uh, we strongly appreciate Tommy, Tommy Rilde yeah. Jr., but um, he is... Uh, done this, taking this approach uh, for some time now. You can maybe correct me on the timeline, but where and, and and this is not an abnormal approach within football. Germany won the 2014 World Cup doing this, but where he's 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 played guys at fullback that are really not fullbacks. They're more center backs, or you know, in this specific case, ideally <laughs> probably a center midfielder, but um, but played them at left back because they're left footed because they're good in the tackle. Because they, uh, you know, are going to follow the, the match plan well, and this is about someone who I like deeply care about, like someone who I, I like legitimately, yeah, I've known for you know a couple of decades and, and really care about, um, and, that, and that's David David Norman. Um, David Norman, I, I'm never going to ask him this, but I don't think he would put left back in his top three choices of where to play on the pitch. No. But he's, but he's a servant and will work hard for the club wherever asked. And he's done that. He's played a bunch of left, left, left back this year. But right from the beginning, of the, right from very, very near the beginning of the game, it was very obvious that part of um, uh, Smyrny Otis's instructions to his players were, we need to use our pace against their left back, right? We need to use our pace and we need to run at him and we need to get past them. And so you had that. Uh, what is it? Midway through the first half, uh, yeah, yellow card because a, a a guy beat David for pace and he and he pulled him back and I mean he did remarkably well to pull him. Yeah, on the edge of the box and I mean it was it was like a clear yellow card, no doubt about that one. That that was a, a booking every day of the week for David. 
And then you said to me right away, like, "Oh, he's 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 gonna get sent off if this if this, if this keeps going this way. He is he's not gonna see out the game." The funny thing was, after Becker got sent off, I I was tweeting about it, and I was gonna message you, go and watch David Norman get sent off now, and things will get evened up. I didn't even get a chance to to tweet that out because three minutes into stoppage time, five minutes after Becker sending off, David Norman got a second yellow, and joined him for an early bath. I don't think together. I think they'll have been separate baths. Yeah, and it was, uh, like, his first one was, to me, a clear yellow card. Yeah. His second one, to me, was far more debatable. And, I mean, I personally don't think it's a, a yellow. I don't think it's a second yellow. I think we saw today again, and this was confirmed in the post-match comments, that this is a league that is desperate for, for VAR. Yes. And I know that costs, it costs money and stuff, but I think that's an investment that the CPL is going to need to make. Because the, part of the conversation of the, of the Canadian Premier League is this whole idea about growing the game as a whole. So this is not just about players and their pathway to professionalism. It's about coaches. It's about the backroom staff. It's about the executives. And included in that, it's about referees. And the referees are growing with this league. And they're probably not quite where they could or should be or ideally would be, which is maybe unfair criticism, but referee, refereeing is a, 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 something that gets highly criticized because of, yeah. because of when, it, when it changes a game or impacts a game like this, um, you're, you're going to hear about it. And, and VAR is there, ultimately, to, to help the referee. Now, I... I don't know if you're actually aware, Zach, but VAR was introduced into Scottish football this weekend. It was meant to be coming in at the start of the new year, but they've brought it in a little bit early. And I think the best word I could use to describe how things went down this first weekend of using it was carnage. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. It's just there was a lot of VAR reviews needed. And apart from maybe one blatantly missed handball in the Celtic Hearts game, on the whole, it was used to good effect and it helped the referee, which is what it's there to do and why the Canadian Premier League needs it because these referees need help. But for anyone that hasn't seen the game, let's just describe how David Norman's sending off came about. So the ball has gone out for a, a throw-in. Alessandro Hojapur from Forge comes barreling in towards David Norman, who's off the pitch at the time. Pretty full force. David Norman puts his hands up, as I think anyone would if you see someone coming towards him. It's just an automatic reaction. Puts his hands up to kind of lessen the impact. As the players come together, he kind of shoves Hojapur. Hojapur goes back. He shoves him in the chest, but he goes down, holding his face, rolling about the way that footballers do. And when the yellow card came out, I think David Norman thought it was for Hojapur because he had come in quite reckless and late. And I still don't know how he didn't get a yellow for that. And then it was just absolute disbelief as Norman got the second yellow card. And a very irate Tommy Fielden Jr. after the match with that one. But I mean, that was the game changer. It would have been 11 v 10 for Cavalry. Who knows? You still don't know what's going to happen. But you'd imagine that that man advantage would have shaped how Cavalry would have played in the second half. 
because as it was, it then was 10 v 10, and they kind of went into their, their shell a little bit. Now, one thing I will say, we got a tweet from our good friend of AFTN, Mike over in Victoria, Victoria Gunner. He is on Twitter, and he is a professional qualified referee, and he said any time that a player off the ball raises his hands and makes contact and pushes over another person, it's an automatic yellow card. So in his mind, there was no doubt that it was a worthy yellow card. I see it differently. Yeah. But we're not referees. But obviously we are correct. <laughs> well, and that's where that's where you need VAR. Because when you break down that play, you see he's putting his arms up to like protect himself. Because this, this guy's running at him recklessly. And yeah. But like I say, to me, it, it changed the game. It changed how Cavalry played. Tommy doesn't feel that they kind of went into the shell a little bit. But let's play some of the post-game audio from a clearly seething... Tommy Bielden Jr. Uh, listen, we haven't got VAR in this league because I think there'd have been a lot of things changed in this game if we'd have had VAR. I know you're absolutely gutted after that. I was going to ask this as my second one, but I'll ask you as the first because you, you just touched on it there. But four seasons in, surely with stuff that we've seen this year, VAR has to come into this league. Yeah, I think it's disgusting that we uh, we sat here talking about decisions and not the, the players because it doesn't do the players justice. That's fair enough. I mean, if you look back over these two legs, where do you feel, aside from refereeing decisions, that that your team just fell short tonight? The up front, I mean, you you seem to fall out of the game a little bit in the first half and in the second half after David sending off it. it felt almost that you were just keen to maybe get to penalties by that stage. No, it wasn't that. Um, we needed to be a bit more progressive with the ball. Um, we were looking at making changes before the penalty about, you know, uh, bringing on Roberto Alicon, bringing on Charlie, bringing on Mickey Cantave, uh, bringing on Maya Bevan. Um, and, and it all happened so quickly. So, you know, if there's anything I can reflect on is maybe I should have made those decisions a little bit earlier. Uh, it couldn't stick. We couldn't get it up to Joe or Ali and then make an attack and build an attack from there. Um, so that's that's something we can... Did the red, was this something you kept in mind, red cards, potentially being a rivalry, you know, a lot of intense, uh, a lot of uh, intense uh, tensions going along. Was that something you kept in mind from the players pre-game? I don't think either were red. I've only seen them briefly. I think it ruined the game, to be honest. I, you know, I would like to be sat here talking about the game. And every time in these knockout games, it seems to be about others than the players. And the players, you know, Bobby's got a terrific group of players, very well coached. They're one of the best teams in this country in the way they play. And we're not far off them. Yet we're always talking about these decisions. You know, I'm sure questions will come in about me and my coaching, but what about others on there that have influenced the outcome of this game? And poor David Norman now has been sent off twice by the same official. Twice. Look at them. Sickening. Well, I'd like to have gone in at half time and like it was tight We knew that we could keep it tight. Our defensive shape was superb. We actually, all we wanted to do was make sure we created a bit more on the attack and found Ali Mushi in the pocket, Joe Mason in the space, and then built an attack from there. And that would be something we would have adjusted half time. And then we have to readjust and talk about something else. And then you have to readjust again because of decisions. But that's it. It seems to be there's no easy games in here. And uh, yeah, it seems to be as soon as we get something, oh, better balance up the scales. Can you tell me the mood of the kids in the room? They're sick. They're heartbroken in there. I guess, uh, what can you say to them at this point? 
I thanked them. I thanked them for the efforts because no matter what's thrown at us, we didn't quit. We kept going, kept going. We could have played for another 90 minutes and the boys would have kept going no matter what's thrown at them. That's the one spit thing and give it because it's okay, you know, it's okay to be given all the decisions and moments like that. It's how you react when things don't go your way. And it seems to be a lot of things don't go our way and they're still there. Boys are still there. Mason Trafford, you know, 36. He's still playing his heart out. Marco Carducci's, you know, he's fought off cancer this year and he's going up for a free kick to try and get us back in the game. These guys have got incredible. I couldn't be prouder of the way they handle themselves when things are thrown at them that they can't control. But you know what? I'm not going to sit here and accept it because I think it was bullshit, some of the stuff that went out there out of our hands. But it's very cold out here in the snow, marching to and from the enemy. Oh, I say it's tough. I have had enough. Can you stop the cavalry? So a very angry Tommy Pilden Jr. Some very short answers he gave in that post-game conference. And uh, as you heard, just thinks it's disgusting that there's no VAR and uh, it's basically bullshit that you're having to talk about referees instead of the players and the performance and his coaching decisions and stuff. But, I mean, if you're talking about Tommy's coaching, there have been Cavalry fans not happy tonight that Cavalry have, again, failed to deliver a championship. Despite good regular season, when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to championship games, the big games, Tommy Bielden hasn't delivered and hasn't got them over the line. And there's even a few calling for his, his head tonight. Oh. So so why why would you say that? Because uh, I think he, I mean, him and Sirniotis are have obviously been the cream of the crop of the of the league, the entire existence of the league. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think that they would get the benefit that they would be looking for in the time frame that they would be looking for if they made a move. I think if they make a move, I think you're going to have significant, drastic rebuilding of your team. I, I think another factor of this as well, which maybe isn't fully appreciated by by everyone, is how much the players love Tommy Bjorn Jr., how much they play for him, and how much they come to Cavalry because he is the coach. So, I mean, that could impact things as well, but I mean, ultimately in football, if you're not delivering the silverware, at some point it, it comes to it that it's your head that's on the chopping block. And you're the one that takes the fall if you're the head coach. And then depending on who you bring in, just the the knowledge of the player base within the league, within the country, I, I, I think that you he knows he knows the he knows the level, he knows uh, what's out there, I think for the most part. Uh, I, I think there's maybe only one or two other people are in, on the same level with him when it comes to that. And so I think it would be very short-sighted, a very short-sighted type move. And I think they would uh, have some significant um, uh, mid to long-term suffering if they if they chose to go that route. But, and, I, mean, but I think I think they have an ownership group there that is not the type that is. Uh, like I think they they're in it for the long haul. The long well, he's game. GM as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, exactly. maybe Tommy feels that he's taking them as far as he can and wants to stay on as GM and not well, coach, that, but I, I don't that's see a, that. I don't see that either. Thing. I don't see that either, but that's a different thing, right? I mean, I, I don't think he'll step down. I don't think 
he'll get sacked, I think he will be the man to lead the team because him and his dad are just so entwined in Calgary soccer that it would just it would just seem so weird if he's not leading that team. But like I say, he's ultimately the guy that carries the can. And I think there's very valid questions, though, to ask about how his team played on Sunday and how that tactics lined out and team formation and team selection because I don't think it was a good performance by Calgary. And I think a lot of the blame for that does have to lie at the feet of Tommy. Questions are good. Questions are valid. Like we asked that one before, like, the approach with uh, Norman and Klomp at those positions, uh, I don't think, well, yeah, it didn't get them where they wanted to be this year. That was one thing about watching the games today. I was just like, it makes you appreciate Starlight and Wanderers Grounds and even uh, Spruce Meadows. Because uh, there was a lot of people at those games today, but it didn't feel like... Yeah, I think there was a... Over 7,000 at the, the Forge Cavalry game. And like even the Ottawa game had a good crowd. But the way it looks on the TV, it's only when you see it from different angles. Because, again, they're big cavernous stadiums. Going back to what I was saying about intimate MLS atmospheres and soccer-specific stadiums and like LA and Austin, it, it shows. It also doesn't help that the camera is pointing towards the emptier of the stands in a place like Ottawa either. Well, it's because... They don't want people on the other side of the fan or the other side of the ground because they don't want them starting fires. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't joke. I shouldn't joke about that. No, but it's got some truth to it. <laughs> well, that's where the inebriety were. That, that yeah, cup game. But um, no, they, they, it's always been like that in Ottawa. They always put the fans on the one side, right? So, I, I yeah, it's it's not. It doesn't. It I I personally don't feel it helps grow the game. No. So, this, the final goes next Sunday. It's Athletica Ottawa hosting Forge FC. Who have you got in that one, Zach? I was going to say my, my my head says Forge, my heart says Ottawa, but my heart definitely does not say Ottawa. Um, but, you know, I think I'd prefer Ottawa 1, but I think Forge will. I've, I've got to say I fancy Forge to win their, their third title in four years. Wasn't impressed with Ottawa over the, the two games against Pacific. I know they got the job done in the end, but I just think Forge have got the the better off them, even without Becker. I still think they've got the pieces that can do it, and they've been to this stage before. They know how to win. Bobby Smyrniotis knows how to win. And for any criticism that I gave of Forge, I do want to give a, a massive hat tip to them and what Bobby Smyrniotis has built there, because it's tremendous. And they're such a good team. And they know how to win. And they know how to win championships. And to be in four straight championship games in the first four years of the league takes some doing. And it's something special that, that Bobby has before. And I think they will go on and win their hat-trick of CPL titles. But that is pretty much it for the football chat. It's not it for the show, though, because we've got to bring you this week's Wavelength. And we're continuing our songs about footballers this month in the section. And we're, we're going back to a punk band formed in the 90s in Derbyshire. They're called Apocalypse Babies. And this is their reworking of the, the classic punk song by the business, Harry May. And it's about Tottenham striker Harry Kane. <laughs> Oh, how emphatic was that? Harry 
Kane. Apocalypse babies there. Harry Kane. Well, that is it for this week's show. Just before we go, though, Zach, any final thoughts? Anything that's caught your eye this week or you want to chat about? Uh, you can, well, you can find me on Twitter at ZacharyAM. Uh, and this week, uh, just in the last few days or whatever, was the, I think it was the 40th or 50th anniversary, 50th anniversary of the Olympiastadion in Munich. And um, so Byron, Byron, I sent you a picture of this earlier in the week. Byron had these really um, polarizing jerseys made that they wore. Uh, was in their cup match last week, I think. And then, anyways, th- there was a, a derby played at the Olympia Stadium. So in 1860 versus Byron Derby, where Byron wore their red kits in the first half and the special kits in the second half. And they played 1860, of course. And uh, it was kind of like the old days. This is all old time, like old timers, but some still quality players who played. And Byron won eight six. But the highlight of it, the highlight goal. Na 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 na. <laughs> nice. Uh, the highlight goal though was uh, uh, Masimovic, a guy who I got to see when he was coming through from the second team. He didn't make the breakthrough at Byron. He went, you know, kind of made a big impact for his country, but also for uh, Wolfsburg. He was part of the Wolfsburg team that won the, the Bundesliga years later. Um, but I got to see him play in 2003. But he he scored from about half. But it was like a quality. It wasn't just like a hopeful. It was like a quality, quality strike. So if you go on Byron's webpage, you can see highlights of the game. Or if you go on their, their social media, you can see the Misimovic's goal from half. It was quite nice. Talking of German jerseys. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you don't know where I'm going with this. No, I do know where you're going. No, you going. don't. You don't like that Bayern jersey that's got the orange and the green and the white. That's the one I was just talking about. Oh, is that, is that the same? I love that jersey. Yeah. As I said, it's polarizing. People on social media are like, this is the greatest thing. Take my money. Or they're Yeah, like, if I was going to get a Davies jersey for Bayern, it would be that jersey. I don't even know. This is weird. I don't even know if they put them up on their... I didn't see them on their store. Like the day they were wearing them. They weren't on the store. So I don't know if you can... What get... are they? Canada soccer? <laughs> oh, my... Can't get those jerseys anywhere apart from dodgy flea markets, uh, apparently. But yes, um, what I learned this week, um, I, I love cup football. It's the Scottish Cup that's been taking place this weekend. And Friday night saw Cumnock taking on Dumbarton. And what I learned was Dumbarton got shortened to D-U-M on the, the little graphic on the screen. But I don't understand, for some reason, Cumnock got shorted to C-M-K depriving me of my cumdom graphic that I would have loved for years to come. Oh, my. There's also a new cumnick 
because the old one was so shitty, I guess they built a new one, but they're both they're both pretty much shitholes anyway. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Give us a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Check our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca, and of course our YouTube channel, AFTN Canada, is the handle for that on YouTube. VMSL videos going up, and we're, we're going to have some other videos going up. Pulled off at half time is making a return in December, Zach. With a, a new host, and I'll be taking part in it. So yeah. watch out for that. But until next time, as always, thank you for listening. Take care. And mon the beautiful game. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.